This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Friday, December 10th. Coming up, what's next for a troubled federal detention facility in Leavenworth now that the Biden administration won't renew its contract? Plus, Kansas City Ballet Artistic Director Devin Carney says he's working to include more dancers of color in his production of The Nutcracker. The ballet world can sometimes, has been in the past, continues to be uh, a place where diversity is something that's not as full as it should be. And it's a passion of mine to change that. We'll hear more about this beloved holiday tradition. But first, some headlines. Kansas City Public Schools will continue their COVID-19 protocols despite a warning of legal action from Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. Schmidt issued letters to local health authorities and school districts earlier this week, informing them of a ruling by a Cole County judge that unelected officials should not make public health orders. Kansas City School Superintendent Mark Bedell said at Wednesday's board meeting that the district is upholding its current mask and quarantine policies. This board has been supporting us in our position on this matter from day one. And even with masking, we're still having a lot of folks that have to go out on quarantine. North Kansas City, Park Hill, Kearney and Hickman Mills school districts also say they'll continue their current COVID policies. Kansas City Mayor Quinton Lucas says he thinks the city police department hasn't put aside enough money for legal settlements in next year's budget. During a hearing today, Lucas pointed to the $2.4 million set aside to settle claims next year, compared to nearly $6 million the department paid out in legal claims last year. We're just acting like we won't have to pay. And the bigger question for me is, well, where's that money going to come from later? And it sets up the battles of next year and the year after. There are several pending cases, including a $10 million lawsuit by the family of Cameron Lamb, a black man shot and killed by Detective Eric DeValconeer. The officer was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and armed criminal action last month and is awaiting sentencing. Early in Joe Biden's presidency, his administration announced it would end its relationship with private prison companies. As part of that effort, a prison in Leavenworth is set to close once its contract with the U.S. Marshals Service ends at the end of the year. But that raises questions of what will happen to the building and the people inside. Steve Vakrat has been reporting on that issue. He's the investigative editor of NPR's Midwest Newsroom, and he joins me now to tell us more. Hi, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. So there are a couple of prisons in Leavenworth, and I just want to make clear to the listeners, which one are we talking about here? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about both, but the main one that we're talking about is called the Leavenworth Detention Center. It is a private prison. It's owned by a company called Core Civic. Uh, they are a publicly traded company based out of Tennessee, and they have had a contract with the U.S. Marshals Service Um, to house detainees, uh, or prisoners rather, at the Leavenworth Detention Center. Uh, And these are people who are defendants in federal cases who are not out out on bond. So, for example, if you've been charged with a crime in federal court and you can't uh, make bond, you stay there until your trial. If your trial has happened and you've been convicted and you're awaiting sentencing, you stay at the Leavenworth Detention Center, 
until uh, your sentencing happens and you're assigned to uh, uh, serve your sentence uh, somewhere else. So that's the nature of the Leavenworth Detention Center. And Core Civic is a private company that's gotten a lot of media attention in recent years. Can you talk a little bit about that? People who want to reform prisons say that private prison operators like Core Civic, the use of them by the federal government should be discouraged because they say that these prisons have the tendency to be poorly managed, unsafe, not have the best security in what critics of private prisons say is, among other things, that when you have a profit motive for incarcerating people, that creates a system where there's a demand for to place people in prisons. And that gets to questions of, you know, are, are sentences too long for certain defendants because this is like serving a demand? Or are corners being cut uh, because there's a profit motive in housing prisoners like the ones at the Leavenworth Detention Center. In the context of this particular prison in Leavenworth, it's been the subject of a fair number of reports and complaints about unsafe conditions, violence, uh, poor security, and, and things like that. Can you talk a little bit more about the controversies surrounding this particular facility in Leavenworth? Yeah, so the ACLU of Kansas uh, in September wrote a letter making a number of complaints about uh, the situation uh, that existed uh, at at the Leavenworth prison. They said that it's dangerously understaffed. They say it's poorly managed. They said that it's incapable of safely housing. Uh, the the detainee population. They pointed to stabbings, suicides, uh, homicides, and they say that that all happens at an alarming frequency, that weapons and drugs and other contraband gets inside the walls of the prison. You know, CoreCivic, of course, disputes those contentions, but that was the nature of some of the controversies about this particular prison. It was also a prison where uh, I think can fairly be described as a scandal involving some taped conversations that were occurring between inmates at the prison and their attorneys. And a lot of listeners will know and probably appreciate that attorney-client privilege is sacrosanct. It's secret and can't be divulged, uh, shouldn't be divulged to anybody in almost any circumstance. And so there were allegations that these conversations at this prison were being recorded and uh, had possibly been accessed by some federal prosecutors. How do these conditions compare to conditions at a typical prison? My understanding, and based on some of these reports, is that even by the standards of jails, which are not meant you know, for the enjoyment of the people staying there, incarceration is largely a punitive step that's taken in our justice system. It's not necessarily rehabilitative, although you could argue that there's some programs that exist uh, that do seek to try to rehabilitate offenders or people who are convicted. But private prisons in particular tend to get a lot of criticism for part of what we discussed earlier is, are, are there corners being cut by these companies that make big money uh, incarcerating people? Is there a motive for them to cut corners on safety and staffing and security so that they can you know, meet their fiduciary duty to shareholders, whereas a government-run prison, you know, they, they have to balance their budgets, of course, but, you know, you don't have a profit motive. And, you know, Core Civic, for example, they make a lot of money off of their contracts uh, with the government to operate uh, and run these prisons. For example, you know, in a recent 
quarterly filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, they said that they 23% of their business comes from contracts that it has with the U.S. Marshal Service alone. So it's a big it's a big business for them. So why do governments rely on private prisons? Governments rely on private prisons if they feel like they don't have enough of them, if they don't have the uh, benefit uh, or the ability or expertise to run them on their own, um, if they need them for certain specialized types of uh, uh, detention or incarceration. And, you know, what Lauren, what the Leavenworth Detention Center is somewhat specialized for is it's, you know, it's holding people for, you know, kind of what tends to be a more temporary basis. And so the government will contract with those rather than, you know, take on the cost of building new prisons and, you know, staffing them up and providing services for them. I mean, jailing people is an expensive business, uh, whether the government's doing it or whether a private company is doing it. At the end of the month, the U.S. Marshal Services contract with the Leavenworth Detention Center will end. Can you talk about why the Biden administration decided to do that? Yeah, that was one of the earlier executive orders that the Biden administration issued early on, uh, shortly after he became president, was to tell the Justice Department to stop doing business with private prisons, to phase out these contracts. And this particular contract that the U.S. Marshals have, and the U.S. Marshals, I'll point out, is under the Justice Department. Uh, One of their main jobs is to transport prisoners who are under federal custody. So the contract that the core civic had with the U.S. Marshals uh, at the Leavenworth Detention Center was going to end at the end of 2021. And because of Biden's executive order, the Justice Department was not to renew it. And so it's not going to be renewed. As a result, the U.S. Marshals, they're going to have the prisoners who are staying at the Leavenworth Detention Center, uh, they're going to be housed at the penitentiary in Leavenworth, which is a separate prison, uh, but it's a government-run prison under the uh, Bureau of Prisons. So what's in the future for this facility? Well, that's the big question right now in Leavenworth and uh, I think even more broadly. There were reports and some speculation uh, earlier this year that the prison was going to be repurposed for immigration and customs enforcement to house immigrant detainees. It would basically have become a facility to hold people who are suspected of being in the country without legal permission and while they await either deportation or some kind of adjudication of their case. So there's speculation that ICE was going to get a contract uh, uh, with CoreCivic to put uh, these detainees at the uh, prison once it empties out. ICE tells me that they do not currently have plans to pursue a contract with CoreCivic for this particular uh, for this particular detention center. Core Civic did not give me any specific answer. The most specific one I got was from ICE saying that they currently just don't have plans to, to, to use it. Steve Vakrat is the investigative editor of NPR's Midwest Newsroom. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we'll take a look at the Kansas City Ballet's first pandemic production of The Nutcracker. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This is Kansas City Today. UMB Private Wealth Management is a division of UMB Bank that tailors financial planning services to help you maximize your assets and protect your legacy. Everything we do starts with you because there is no one-size-fits-all financial planning strategy. 
Your UMB experience begins with us taking the time to get to know you and understand your financial goals. Then we customize a detailed yet flexible plan that helps you achieve them. At UMB, your story is always our focus. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. Hey, this is Byron Love. If you enjoy hearing our soothing voices on your podcast feed, why not show some love for Kansas City today? Head to kcur.org slash support. Your monthly donation will help support this podcast and everything else you enjoy from KCUR. Find the link in the description and thanks for supporting Kansas City Today. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. A holiday tradition is back this year at the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts. After the Kansas City Ballet took a year off for the pandemic, the Nutcracker returns with some changes. KCUR's Laura Spencer reports. It's early afternoon and a rehearsal of the Nutcracker is underway at the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts. Two Kansas City Ballet company members are on stage, accompanied on piano by music director Ramona Pansagra. Artistic director Devin Carney stops to ask the dancers to work through a section again. Carney has had a long career in dance, so when the Nutcracker was canceled last year due to COVID, it was, as he puts it, very strange. Bringing it back now is making this time of year complete for us. Many ballet dancers start training at an early age, and the Nutcracker production is part of that. It's a ballet with roles for company members as well as students who take classes at the Kansas City Ballet School. My name is Elise Pickert. I am 13 years old, and I am playing the role as Clara. For Pickert, it's her sixth time in the production and her first as Clara. Clara is a young girl who gets a Nutcracker as a gift for Christmas from her godfather, and she just falls in love with it. Even though the Nutcracker is back, COVID protocols are still in place. Masks during rehearsals and all cast members fully vaccinated. Until November, children under 12 were not eligible for the vaccine, so that eliminated some of the roles and also made room for new cast members. My name is Olivia McFadden, and I'm 19 years old. I'm an angel this year. McFadden started dancing at the age of four. She grew up in a military family that's moved around, so she's danced in Nutcrackers in Oklahoma and Alaska, but this marks her first with the Kansas City Ballet. It has been very different. Obviously, the masks are quite a bit different, but I feel like it's helped my stamina quite a bit. So I'm able to dance freer and focus more on my artistry. As one of the angels, McFadden helps usher in Act Two in the land of the sweets when audiences meet the Sugar Plum Fairy. The Padida is one of those very iconic roles that everyone wants to do and they dream of doing from the time they're little and they see it for the first time on stage. Liliana Hagerman is one of this year's Sugar Plum Fairies. The company members perform multiple roles, so seven different dancers play the Sugar Plum Fairy. It's one of those roles where you have to be extremely technically strong. You carry the second act, you know, you, you help tell the story, bring Clara and the Nutcracker Prince, you ask them why they're there. It's just all sugary goodness from the Sugar Plum Fairy. It was the Nutcracker that introduced company member Josh Bowden to ballet, and he says it sparked joy. The combination of live music, the lights, the costumes, the transition, the effects of the battle scene with the cannon, 
uh, the snow scene when the snow falls. It's just a combination of a full immersive experience that I never saw before. Bowden also plays multiple roles, and it's his first time as the Nutcracker Prince. As artists, we create art, but most importantly, we create dreams and the opportunity to believe that anyone can do anything. Artistic director Devin Carney says it's often a white or Asian dancer who plays the Nutcracker Prince, in part because of costuming. Bowden is African-American, so the company designed a new mask, a nutcracker head that matched his skin color. The ballet world can sometimes, has been in the past, continues to be a place where diversity is something that's not as full as it should be. And it's a passion of mine to change that. Just as more diverse casting has changed the Nutcracker over the years, so has COVID. But Carney says he hopes that some changes, like more dancers of color in lead roles, are here to stay. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Spencer. Kansas City Ballet's The Nutcracker, with music from the Kansas City Symphony, continues through December 24th at the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia dean This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Steve's story about the Leavenworth Detention Facility and Laura's story about the Nutcracker, visit kcur.org, where you can also hear a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. On Monday, we'll hear how some Midwestern towns are bribing people to move there. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Next week.